Hello, thank you for listening. This is the Friendly Reminder Podcast. It's your weekly friendly reminder of what's going on around the world, in our lives, and everything in between. My name is Gus, and I'm here to discuss, and I'll be your host for the evening. Uh, <laughs> I do yeah, have my good. two. Yeah, yeah, I know. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> and I do have my two good friends joining me as always. Uh, Sam, how are you today? I'm doing really good. Anxious to get ready. Me too. Me too. Well, then let's let's get started. And joining us today is also Daniel. How are you? Good, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, it is August the seventh. It is a Friday, everybody. It's a Friday evening. We're going to let our hair down, we're going to relax, and we're going to talk about all the terrible things going on in the world right now. I'm just kidding. Well, somewhat kidding. Um, But I want to get started, but just a little update. I did mention last week that we were hopefully going to come back around and talk about Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. Well, there is no pick as of yet. Uh, He has not selected his vice presidential pick. He has not given us any info or anything to really follow up on, except maybe some regrettable. Well, there was, n- <laughs> yeah, there was no uh, Joe Biden news at all this week. Nothing yeah. happened. Nothing. Didn't yeah. say anything. Didn't say anything embarrassing about <sighs> black people being less diverse than Hispanic people. But yeah, then he no, apologized, or, or you know, he didn't apologize. He clarified. He's, well, he said, "I'm sorry that you felt <laughs> that I said something." <laughs> Sorry, you get so easily offended. You snowflake. He said, "He said, come, come on, man. man, come on, man." And you know what? It's He's just right. now his slogan, right? Twenty yeah. twenty. Come, come on, on, man. So, I mean, I should mention, uh, in case people don't know what I'm talking about, Joe Biden did pretty much put his foot in his mouth by. Uh, I, I don't have the exact quote here with me, so I'm just going to try to paraphrase. But he says that, um, unlike uh, black. Black voters, uh, Latinos are more diverse. I believe what he was trying to say, they're more diverse in their beliefs. And I, I'm not really going to try to explain it. Uh, I don't want to put my own foot in my own mouth. So I also it, don't it think he a... used the word voters, which changes oh, the meaning of that yeah. just a Again, little more. Again, I don't have the quote here, so I don't... I could bring it up. Do you guys want me to bring it up? I... Sure. No, we should just kind of... Yeah. Just move on. Look, it's, it's Biden. He's... You gotta love him. And I mean that literally. You gotta love him because the alternative is not a viable option. So, you know, well, I congratulate him. It's not a viable option his... for us. It's not a viable option for I'm us. I'm just gonna say, because I just found it real quick. He said, uh, and by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know, is unlike the African American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredible different attitudes about different things. So, yeah. yeah. Well, just, you guys. And now, can... and now we're all going to defend that, right? <laughs> yeah, we're just going to try to extrapolate what he means. And obviously, what he means is well meaning, and he loves us all very much. I love, love him. Vote Joe Biden. All right. Anyway. <laughs> and, but that's not really our main topic um, for today because, you know, everything Joe Biden does, Donald Trump can do better. And in this case, he can do an, uh, a way uh, more insane interview than that, um, which did happen. Um, he did sit down with, uh, what's his name? Jonathan, Jonathan. Jonathan Swan. Jonathan Swan. Oh, Jonathan Swan. 
He's British? Australian or English Australian? or Irish or oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Those all the sound the same to me. All right, uh, <laughs> not diverse uh, enough for you. Well, we'll edit it. We'll edit that out, or I'm gonna get canceled. All right. <laughs> um. So yeah, he did sit down with Jonathan Swan um, of Axios. It was an HBO interview. Ah, uh, oh boy. I mean, I don't even know where to, <laughs> where to get started. Yeah, you don't. Interview. Yeah. Um, he said quite a few things. I mean, <laughs> he lied. Okay. I, he said, no, no, hold on. Cause I, I just want to get started with my favorite one. My favorite part is, uh, he, Jonathan Swan was asking him about, you know, America's handling of, of, of the pandemic, specifically asking him if he thought it was a good idea to hold a rally, uh, in the middle of yeah. July. And he said, you know, it's 6,000 people. <laughs> Donald Trump was like, actually, it was, was 12,000 yeah. people. <laughs> you misreported it. So, uh, that, yes. I it was think like he you was... lying media. You didn't talk about the kissing boots. You didn't talk about the way that everybody was just hugging on each other. It, and that, it was idiot. Fox, it was yeah, Fox's yeah, exactly. like, number one show yeah. or something your number one yeah he said he had the he had the biggest ratings he had yeah he uh, was like the cdc cited us as the number one disease vector in that area yeah. so i'll have you know we were we had a big old crowd and uh, he did talk about um you know uh, uh our handling uh, america's handling of the of covid19 um there was an exchange in which he was handing Jonathan Swan a couple of charts, um, and Jonathan Swan, you know, he he was uh, he did understand what was going on. He, what Donald Trump was citing was um, deaths compared to uh, cases, right. in which Jonathan Swan re responded was like, "Well, why don't we do deaths compared to population? Uh, because we're on on that end, we're we're much higher than than South Korea, Germany, other countries." And Donald Trump basically said, "Well." No, you can't do that. Yeah, um, you can't you do to, that. Which not okay. allowed. Maybe I'll, I'll give some credit because when when analyzing death to cases, uh, America does do very well. And I'm obviously not an expert, but maybe some, Gus, something that. Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> why are you defending this man <laughs> and his? I, look, I'm not all I'm saying is, I'm if Trump hands you a little piece of paper with a graph on it. That is that information is it's going to be right. You just know it's reliable. <laughs> There's no way it's bullshit. There's no way this idiot who just lies every two seconds is just handing you garbage. Um, but it was amusing to see him on a tiny little chair just handing out pieces of paper to Jonathan Swan trying to. Oh, okay, well, go back like, to defending uh, Donald Trump. Which I'm not defending that. what what I am trying to say is it what that means is that obviously the United States does have great physicians, great doctors, great nurses, uh, great facilities, and in some areas, not necessarily in all areas. Nobody was ever disputing that, though. And then that's that's the problem with Donald Trump's case. I mean, we we know we have great doctors. We know we have great healthcare workers and, and great nurses, uh, great hospitals in some areas. Uh, that's not what what the issue is the issue is that we let this spread like wildfire uh when it comes to policy that's where the death by population and the fact that we just have these 
insane number of cases uh, every single day, uh, that's a failure in policy. That, that's a failure in leadership. That's a failure uh, of government, uh, federal government, state governments, local governments. But really, it, I mean, it starts at the top. Um, so yeah, it's great that our, our deaths by cases is relatively low. It's great that we have the, uh, those hardworking physicians, healthcare workers, doctors, nurses doing an outstanding job. That's not any credit to Donald Trump. That's him just trying to find an out. So that's well, my main well, point. Didn't he, when Jonathan Swan was like, well, didn't a thousand people die yesterday? A thousand Americans die. And Trump right, was like, every day it is a what thousand it is. American die. Yeah. I think that was really well, the But it was actually two thousand, it was 2,000 yesterday. I, I noticed, but that's, yeah. Really? But he said, yeah, a thousand, yeah, he said a thousand Americans died uh, yesterday. And Jonathan, or not Jonathan, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump said, it is what it is, uh, which I was like, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. A third of the ni- people who died on 9-11 died, and it is what it is. And it just made me think of those that those crazy Benghazi slogans where they were like, Hillary died and the Benghazi three died, meaning like the three people who died in Benghazi died. <laughs> and, and I was just thinking, and also a thousand people died yesterday, and that is what it is. Um, yeah, he said uh, they are dying. That's true, and it is what it is. But that doesn't mean we aren't <laughs> doing everything we can. It's under control as much as you can control it. Right. This is a horrible plague that beset us. Um, yeah. So uh, obviously, he's he's not capable of taking any kind of responsibility. Um, he's he's not going to actually show any any kind of regret or introspection. He's just going to come up with excuses, which is. Essentially, what he did uh, throughout this—I mean, he said it's 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 under control as much as it can be under control, as long as you ignore every single other country on Earth except for like Brazil, (laughs) which is doing worse than us. Yeah, Um, and he—I mean, he he did try to mention like, oh, there's flare-ups in Germany or in South Korea, and it's like uh, Jonathan Swan rightly said, well, I mean, they had like two deaths yesterday. We had yeah, the flare-ups are like oh. 20th of who of the number of deaths that were in like one major u.s city yesterday it's it's not even a it, it's funny that the media is even reporting them as like oh they're flare-ups because they are so small compared to what's going on in the united states yeah um and it did cover other things uh for example he was asked um in regards to the bounties uh set by uh, Putin and the Russian government. He um, admitted that he did have a phone call with with uh, Putin, and he was asked, did, 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 did that come up? And he just said, no, we, we talked about other things. Well, then didn't he say it was fake news, the bounty thing? Yeah. He was like, well, it's fake news. Uh, it's fake news. Yeah. He's like, Putin wouldn't do that. Putin, um, Putin, Putin, Putin wouldn't. I don't know if he said Putin to me. would do that, but he did say it was fake news. Yeah, and also, again... He doesn't care if it's true or not. He cares within the context of what's important to him. Mm-hmm. And among, among other things, he also, <laughs> you know, going back to the Joe Biden thing, uh, Donald Trump is not one to to not be one or to not one up uh, Joe Biden. Uh, he mentioned, for example, that. Well, that he's done more than, and this is something he said before, but that he's done uh, more than any other presidents for the African-American community. Jonathan Swan mentioned Lyndon Johnson and the Civil Rights Act. 
which Donald Trump basically did say is like, uh, you know, how has that worked out? Uh, if you if you take a look at what Johnson did, how did that work out? So which kind of sounds like the president of the United States is just openly musing on whether the Civil Rights Act, passing the Civil Rights Act was a good thing or not. The um, other thing um, that I liked was when he says positive thinking. He says something about positive thinking is going to like change all of this. Positive like how, mental attitude. Yeah, positive mental attitude. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, he and he used the word hope a lot, like I hope it gets better, which, you know, uh, Swan did kind of respond to that. He's like, well, don't give me hope. Like, give me, like, what What do you actually feel wholeheartedly is going to happen? And he just kind of reverted back to saying that he's, he's just hoping things, things will be better soon. And obviously right now he's just staying the course. He's not, in, in terms of the response at the very least, the, the actual healthcare medical uh, response to this, he's he's not in any way willing to consider any other alternative except opening up. He wants to continue to open up the schools. He does not, he's resistant to any kind of idea of closing any kind of business. I mean, it was... he's. He talked about, <clears throat> Jonathan Swan asked him about what history would remember John Lewis for, who was a civil rights, you know, uh, you know, marched with MLK, got beat up, got arrested for, for civil rights. Trump's response, uh, you know, I don't know, really. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know John Lewis. Uh, he chose not to come to my inauguration, and he proceeded to mention three or four more times that, you know, I, I don't really know John Lewis. He didn't uh, come to my inauguration, which is apparently the only place that Trump could meet someone, which is at his inauguration. Um, But that's a ridiculous response to that question. It's like Uh, like when he said, oh, you you know, some people are saying you can test too much. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Again, like like that part, he just says, he just says whatever, and then who says that? And he just said, oh, "Read the manuals, read the books, read the read the things." <laughs> um, and Jonathan Swan was like, "Manuals?" And he's like, "Read the books, read the books." And and Jonathan Swan was like, "What books?" Yeah. It's he, a lot of people were praising, and and he did deserve some praise because he did a lot more quote unquote fact checking of the president than a lot of people do by like pushing back on just the transparently stupid, dumb, wrong things that he says. But I mean, it's, can you really do that effectively to a guy who's like every other word is just every other thing he says is just false or how can you really possibly expect to fact check someone like that, you know? Like, what is a real aggressive interview? I, like, I feel like Jonathan Swan should just get up and just slap him every time he lies. That's the only thing he can do to, like, really... Yeah, but would that even affect anything? He'd still probably lie after a slap to the face. Well, well the I Secret don't... Service would probably tackle Jonathan Swan and arrest him. And then... One thing that's not going to come out uh, as we talk, or while we talk about it, is is Trump's demeanor. I think he was, like, struggling throughout the interview. If you actually, I thought that was a very hard interview to, to really watch. I, I, I'm not, I don't feel great watching those kind of interviews, watching them <laughs> and just stumble, like, uh, what? through, like, just trying what? to explain the most Who? basic things. Um, I mean, that, that... They, they had, like, Swan sitting on, like, a recliner, and they gave, like, John, uh, they gave Donald Trump like the Ottoman. 
they had him sitting on like an ottoman. He it was like his little low seat, and he's this big old guy, and he was just like hunched over. I think it's, it's the terrible. Same chair. It's just Donald Trump's like a very large. <laughs> was it really just how he sits? Yeah, I think yeah. it was the same oh. chair. Like, but it just looks oh. it looks looks so awkward. But because also he like looks... hunches over and he always looks very nervous and fidgety. I thought that whole manuals like what manuals like did, did somebody just I, I I'm assuming like one of his somebody in the coronavirus task force like just handed him some charts here's how you get through the pandemic or something and uh, that's what that's what he's referring to as manuals like what is he talking about what books I'm still wondering what books he's talking about he didn't cite any <laughs> yeah but he doesn't have to because. He's, he's the like, president. Yeah. Well, so this is this is one of the reasons that Swan was praised is that he says this kind of shit and then nobody pushes pushes back. Yeah. And Swan flummoxed him by saying, "What yeah. books are you referring to?" <laughs> just absolutely flummoxed this idiot yeah. by just I saying, mean, "Like, well, which books?" You know, give him the I fucking Pulitzer. How do you not flummox Trump? Is the question. I mean, it's hard Did... not to like, not like mess him up because he just the... messes up on his own by himself all I mean, the time. I, I do think that it took journalists quite a while to get over the fact that they have to show some kind of respect to the office, and and because of because of that so called respect, they were very shy about doing basic follow-up questions when Donald Trump would just go on on some of his bullshit. I mean, what Swan's doing here is just basic follow-up questions. He's not being particularly an insanely inquisitive journalist here. He's just, I mean, what books? Like, why, when you say, hey, look at the manual, of course you're going to say, what manual? Just tell me what manual you're talking about. And, well, that that is what uh, we on the Republican side like to call a gotcha question. Yes. Yeah. You're not allowed to ask what books am I getting my information from? That's communism. That's yeah. that's uh I I I mean it's just, you just got to look at the books and the manuals and the answers are in there. <laughs> Honestly when when I finish this interview What he probably means is just like Fox News talking points. He doesn't mean actual I, books. Is that a book? What I else Hannity's what I also noticed was that the 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 graphs that he brought out it looks like it looks like example graphs they weren't it doesn't look like real graphs it looks like someone just printed them off really quickly and said here you know show them this stuff <laughs> yeah 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 I mean obviously Swan made out, could make something out of it and he did kind of realize that he was referring to population I'm sorry to deaths uh, uh, proportionate to cases. Honestly, guys, when I finished this interview, I kind of thought to myself, is there still a point to, like, parodies or satire? Like, do we even need a So show many like satires that? are just transcripts of what he says. Yeah. Like, like I feel doing like it in, like, Trump, a funny voice. I feel like Don, uh, Donald Trump has, like, Jonathan, has been Jonathan Swifting his way through this entire presidency. And, and not, like, 40% of Americans are still going, like, oh, yeah, no, this... <laughs> This is my president. This is a smart man. <laughs> I like. I feel like if if um, Stephen Colbert's character in the Colbert Report was like an actual person, he'd be considered like a centrist intellectual right now, and he'd be like on Bill Mayer complaining about cancel culture. 
<laughs> like I feel like our idea of centrism is just like so like we're so far gone that even centrism is is just like this <laughs> like really a satire of, of of what it used to be. I just feel like that's where we so, are at. But I do feel like maybe this is too optimistic, but I do feel like a lot of Republican is it still true that Republicans some Republicans voted for him, kind of tacitly support him, but like vehemently dislike him and just do it because that's their policies. I, I don't. Know. I mean, I, I kind of imagine that's that's a decent amount. Maybe I don't know. I go back and forth on this because I used to think that was a lot of people, and then lo and behold, Donald Trump won the election, and then I was like, all right, maybe it's not as many people. Yeah, I'm not I sure. It might be. Like, I'm I'm not sure what. Um the elite beltway republicans are are thinking i mean obviously there's the lincoln project and there's a lot of insider republicans that are trying to work to get donald trump out and there's a whole right. discussion the never trump republicans yeah, yeah i think it's i mean uh, i don't Steve Schmidt. yeah go ahead sam i don't think trump was the reason for him winning the election i think it was more to the fact that Fox and other like conservative media were were turning their mind were like forcing people to believe that Hillary Clinton, you know, was a terrible person. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of them didn't vote for her. Yeah, her. but that's a yeah. thing. Like I mean, we're not So that's the viewing... question. Well... I just real quick, like we're not viewing or we're not having this discussion based on 2016 viewpoints. Like we've had four years of Donald Trump as as president and four years of this freaking interview. Like, I mean, again, it's I I remember that uh, tweet from uh, for those. Gus, what part of it is what it is? Do you not understand? Yeah, uh, I'm just reminded of, of that saying where it's like, you have to be pretty dumb for people to hear you for four years and then still think, damn, that dude is dumb every time you open your, yeah. your mouth. Every Which, time he opens his mouth. Yeah, that was me this entire interview. Damn, that dude is dumb. Yeah, and it's, I don't know what it says about America when it's like our two presidential candidates, like when you look at their two most recent interviews, how they sound, what they say. I don't want to both sides it either. I, I still think Joe Biden uh, or Donald Trump makes Joe Biden seem like a luminary and uh, a civil rights champion. But it's still, I don't know. It's It gives me pause, to say the least. Is there anything else you guys want to, <laughs> want to discuss about this in here? Anything else you want, you want to point out that I may have missed? Have you have you guys seen any conservative like what were the what were conservatives saying like great job looking kind of stupid I I mean I can't imagine people thought he did a good job right I think the or were they like oh that that Jonathan Swan and his sneaky lying media ways I mean I think Fox can turn make people believe anything if they made people believe that Trump was presidential. Uh, yeah, I did. I have not seen any any Fox clips or Fox News clips on this. I, I probably don't have. To <laughs> Maybe that in its in and of I, itself is is self explanatory. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that Tucker Carlson is like analyzing this. They probably didn't even cover it. 
to be honest with you. I, that's that's what I would bet. It probably didn't get a whole lot of airtime. I think throughout the circles that I partake in, it was it was reviewed as as a pretty negative negatively towards Donald Trump. But what do I know? I'm I'm in my own little eco chamber, so I don't want to say how it was received by <laughs> by the people. Has your echo chamber ever given him a positive review? <laughs> I think like during that first State of the Union that he gave, like when Van Jones famously said, it was it Van Jones that famously said like this is the day he became president. He did say that, but a lot of people have said that. Also, it's kind of like a parody at this point. I'm telling like you, there's no need for, for parodies anymore. This is it. We're just here. I have to if if this was like congressman ryan and beep and i was just watching a tv show i would be laughing my ass off and i still kind of am but the fact that it's it's our actual president just fumbling through a basic interview during the middle of a pandemic while our unemployment rate is still in double digits is what uh, i feel you michelle obama it gives me low grade depression too yeah he also said for sure he also said thailand and he also, instead of Yosemite, he was reading it off a teleprompter, and he said Yosemite. Yosemite. Look those clips up; they're pretty funny. But that's he was like Yosemite, Yosemite. No, they're not. But I thought I would just tack those in. It's just like, hey, Trump these are some funny things. Yeah. yeah. The the watching that interview will make you feel pretty bad about America. L- watching the smaller videos will make you laugh, but also make you feel bad about America. So remember, yeah. remember, I feel. I miss yes. Bush. Oh, yeah. Those are, see, yeah. those are endearing. I miss values. Bush. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, let's not. But we we should move on. I think we've said what, what, what pretty much needs to be said about this interview. I recommend our listeners, if, if you haven't already, to watch it. Um, you can go on YouTube. It's just put Trump Axios HBO it'll show up it's about 37 minutes long it's not the longest interview so it is cringeworthy it's it's hard to get through but watch it's it. agonizing yeah watch it i mean you need to see this man for who he is i'm sure a lot of our listeners already do but holy cow does he ever like every time i feel like we've reached peak trump stupidity uh, he reminds me that he, the potential of his stupidity may well be limitless and yeah there is no peak when it concerns Trump. Yes. They're almost it's like a kind of equation. Yeah. But let's move on. Let's let's uh go on to our next episode. Thank you guys. That was that was an uh entertaining segment. Uh our next topic, um you our faithful listeners may have remembered that a couple of uh two weeks ago, I believe, or three weeks ago, because we did have that lost episode. Uh we did cover the Civil Rights Act, the history behind it. We have a follow-up now because we we did just uh, um, just yesterday pass the anniversary of the uh, Voting Rights Act uh, being signed uh, into law. And Sam, you wanted to talk a little bit about that, right? Yes. The Voting Rights Act, basically, I mean, as much of you, or I, I think as most of you know, was to prevent Jim Crow laws, preventing literacy tests, from people having, or preventing people from, not preventing them, but letting people vote without having to do literacy tests or other kind of 
Jim Crow laws. The act contains uh, the act contains numerous provisions, some of them which actually regulate elections. Which when I was reading up on this, I, I didn't like. I didn't. I just thought that it was there to stop. Jim Crow laws that stop literacy tests and stuff like that, but I didn't know that it actually um, helped regulate the elections. It provides uh, national protections for voting rights, obviously. Uh, Section 2 is a general provision that prohibits every state and local government from imposing any voting law that results in discrimination against racial or language minorities. And to this day, it's still being... Section 2 has survived thus far. Yeah, but it's... it's Well, I, I guess I won't get into that part, but it's it's still being fought off today. Even today, it's still trying to be, you know, dismantled. Oh, yeah, there's, there's, they're fighting over the statute in the courts all the time. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> Were you going to say something, Daniel? No. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to bring up that, that I think that the history of it is it, you were, you were talking about Jim Crow and voting laws. And I think that the, in, the interesting thing about that history, it was very much a history of, <clears throat> you know, the, the federal government after the civil war, uh, were empowered by the 14th Amendment um, and the 15th Amendment basically to make laws that enabled them to help freed slaves and provide for equality. And the 15th Amendment explicitly helped them uh, pass laws about voting. So they would they would pass laws to, to prevent these kinds, of, you know, poll taxes and, and uh, literacy tests and uh, grandfather provisions, which you were you were you're mentioning, that would basically exempt you from the literacy tests and the poll taxes if your, you know, if your grandfather voted. Well, you know, the only people whose grandfather voted were the white people, uh, so they wouldn't have to take the literacy tests and the poll taxes. But um, anyway, the, the basically what happened is the every time Congress outlawed one of these things, the states would find some other way to to circ to sort of circle it, you know, Texas, the the primaries were whites only. Then the Supreme Court said, no, can't do that. So they made it a, a private, well, it's private, so it can be whites only. And that was still the way that they picked the candidate. So it was, it was, it was like a, it was a, a game of, you know, pop the weasel. Is that, is that, is that what the, anyway, they were, so that's why they passed this act sort of it it was necessary to sort of address things all in one comprehensive package. That yeah. that was so yeah, I just wanted to add a little historical background Thank you to it. For that, Daniel. Um but I was gonna say it just feels like with even with this being done, it, they keep finding ways to 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 stop people from voting. Yeah. Which is insane. The let's see. The there's this act also contains I already talked about that. Certain oh certain jurisdictions. So uh, a core special provision in section five pre clearance requirement which prohibits certain jurisdictions from implementing implementing 
any changes affecting voting without receiving pre-approval. So that means like if there's a new law uh, from the city or from the states that 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 goes against minorities of any kind, it, uh, the, 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 the DOJ, the Department of Justice has to like approve it, which I didn't know. Like that's pretty right. insane to me that like, yeah, I so it's it's actually even more extensive than that because it, the the rule actually requires that every single change in election law um, of these jurisdictions has to be cleared by either the Department of Justice or the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, not just the laws that target minorities. Um, every single election oh. law has. But the the DOJ gets to decide. Well, they do these. Does this disenfranchise minorities? If so, they go back to the state and they say you either have to change it or this law is not allowed to go into effect. Um, and the reason they have to be is this sort of pro prophylactic, uh, this sort of proactive in the way they squash these things is just what I was talking about before. Uh, the history of disenfranchisement is a history of always playing catch up, right? Um, and especially when it, it has to go through the courts because some of these court cases take months or years. So what'll happen is they'll pass a law, it'll go to the courts, uh, nine months later, the judge will render a decision invalidating the law. Meanwhile, the law has disenfranchised 40,000 people and they haven't gotten to vote in the last election <laughs> because it, in the time the case was pending. So so what I'm trying to say is that's why they have the, these sort of preclearance requirements. The reason that they, that Preclearance is the the formula that they use to pick which jurisdictions apply is basically twofold, and that is, did they have restrictions on their voting, like poll taxes and things like that, and are they lower than the average uh, voting registration compared to other similarly situated areas? Which it sounds pretty reasonable to me. Um, basically, do you have a history of this type of discrimination, and do you uh, and as maybe as a result of that, you have lower than average voter registration. Then, you know, so that so was... this is all a little formal. Really what this is, is this is, and, and it's sort of strange to talk about this, but there's a, there's a whole history of legislatures doing this on purpose and, and being very explicit behind closed doors or in emails that leak or in secret recordings saying things like, well, yeah, we got to make sure that the blacks don't vote as much, or just being very explicit about, like, yeah, we we uh, we're getting concerned because you know they're going to start busing. All the blacks are going to come busing out because they want to vote on this certain provision. Like uh, Gus, I, I know I was sharing you the other day, just randomly, an election official in in one of these states uh, thought she was DMing someone about how she was nervous about how all the blacks were were getting ready to vote and accidentally like put it on her Facebook feed like live and she was an election official <laughs> in one of these states and she was like yeah I'm nervous that all these blacks are registering and so by DMing I get... you mean dungeon mastering right yeah yes yeah. Du exactly she said it during the session of Dungeons and Dragons so, I so it's it's actually all of all of this sort of it, it's kind of anecdotal but in in 2006 Congress reauthorized the Voting Rights Act, and they did an extremely extensive uh, study. They brought in experts. They did. A, they released a 6,000-page report talking about, you know, they've had to basically uh, 
the DOJ has to has had to block uh, on average one law a week the entire existence of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, there, these states continue to try to pass laws that make it harder. And and again, it's not like they're passing laws that say, well, blacks can't vote. It's they're closing 300 polling places in in poor neighborhoods or African American. It's just the nature of the thing. Um, this country <laughs> has gotten very good at secretly disenfranchising minorities. <laughs> um, so preclearance was needed. And unfortunately, in 2013, the Supreme Court gutted preclearance. Uh, I don't know, Sam, do you have more to say about the act generally? Because I was going to get into the this terrible Supreme Court decision and shit all over the Roberts Court and any notion that conservatives care about, you know, democracy or fairness or things like that. So did you have anything else to say about the act itself? No. <laughs> so go ahead. The, <laughs> well, I, one other thing about the act I wanted to mention, there is a bailout provision, which provides that if one of these jurisdictions that's covered with this preclearance requirement proves that for like a 10-year period, they don't pass any super racist laws, they can actually get out from underneath this preclearance requirement. And some jurisdictions have, the vast majority have failed miserably <laughs> at getting out from there. Uh, so they asked the Supreme Court uh, to get them out. And that's what I'm going to talk about next. What, what I saying? think you forgot to say is that uh, in the 2006, it was widely supported, right? I think you, you were talking yeah, about this earlier. 99 to 1? 99 to 1. It was reapproved 99 to 1 in the Senate. Which is some insane. absurd margin in the House. Yeah, you would never think that. And that actually comes up in the, in the oral argument. Uh, and when someone brings that up to Scalia, Scalia says, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's called... This is this is the kind of thing he says, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, "Yeah, I mean, it's called the Voting Rights Act. You can't you can't be against voting. Like, who's going to vote against voting? And it'll make him sound racist." Um, he also called the Voting Rights Act a racial entitlement. Like these, this is the type of thing that's going through his head, which is just shows like the least faith in the voter <laughs> that you could possibly imagine. Like, uh, oh yeah, it's called the Voting Rights Act. Well, yeah, that's you know, Scalia thinks that's unfair because, you know, it's called voting. You can't, you know, can't be against voting. That's that's mean. You can't make people vote against voting. Basically, Scalia is an idiot. And so, well, do you know who ahead. the one person was who didn't vote for it? Oh, no. Probably Rand Paul? Was Rand Paul? Yeah. I don't believe he I would was guess either. Rand Paul. You wouldn't was guess like oh uh, was no yeah he wasn't in he wasn't in the Senate Orrin Hatch or Mitch McConnell well, I mean, or no wouldn't have been Mitch McConnell but this was like you know this, George W Bush had a had a big celebration where he was like oh I care about voting rights and blah 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 yeah you know it was kind of bullshit but you know uh, this had popular support. Now, why the Supreme Court decided to gut it in shortly after, I'm going to say it probably had something to do with the fact that in 2006, the Voting Rights Act was reauthorized, and in 2008, uh, Barack Obama like beat the shit out of the entire GOP and caused a massive upswing in black, voter, black and minority voter turnout, and they got terrified. And then the Supreme Court was basically like, we should probably do something about this. And so they 
decided, well, you know, this preclearance thing, I, there's two parts to the majority's opinion in this case. Um, I'm not going to get deep into it because I, I frankly think it's a bunch of bullshit. And I think it's pretty clear that the point of this is to make it harder for Democrats to win and make it easier for Republicans to win by making it harder for, uh, by making it, sorry, easier for states to pass laws that disenfranchise uh, the poor and minorities without being explicit about it. So again, as I said, Congress went through some massive fact-finding. John Roberts didn't care. He basically said, well, you know, things have changed. Uh, you know, there, there's almost parity. There's a lot of black lawmakers now. Thing, things have changed. And, you know, this this formula is old, and we don't think it's it's fair. And, and they invoked this thing called the equal sovereignty rule, which is uh, complete and utter garbage. It's not anything that has really ever been invoked. They basically just wanted a way to get rid of it. Um, and they found that this was the best way. So they said, well, you know, it's so this, and, and they basically said, well, this, you know, this uh, formula is just, it's bad because it's just so old. It's not reliable, you know, completely ignoring the 6,000 page report that Congress put out supporting the formula and why it was still extremely important. Now, I don't, uh, I'm not going to get into too deep into the case itself, but I think that right after the preclearance requirement was struck down, uh, sorry, just to clarify, they didn't strike down the preclearance requirement. They actually struck down the formula, um, which, you know, voids the preclearance formula or voids preclearance uh, just, you know, by its own terms. Um, as soon as they, uh, as soon as they, the Supreme Court decision was handed down, within 24 hours, all of these states started passing all these laws that they could not get through under the DOJ um, previously. Yeah. And I think the Brennan Center estimates that something like 100,000 voters have been disenfranchised by the decision. Yeah, really? I just want to step in like real quick and just like just examples of laws or our voter ID laws. Like, for example, there there's a law in uh, voter ID law in Texas where uh, a gun license is a is a valid uh, voter ID, but a college uh, a college ID is not, which is of yeah, course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who is that going to benefit? Right? Uh, what party is that going to benefit? A lot of uh, voter purge going on in some states uh, uh, people being purged uh, as registered voters and, and they're not aware of it maybe until actual election day and then at that point they're not able to to vote just some examples of of, of what's going on in states like texas uh, arizona ohio basically across the board what I do see here is that since the, and I'm looking at a New York Times article, since uh, the decision, uh, the Shelby County versus Holder decision, virtually all the restrictions put in place were done by Republicans. And sorry to step in, uh, Daniel, go ahead. No, no problem. That's, that's yeah, I'm, I'm looking up some of the effects on this, and it's sort of hard to, to give broad figures. But yeah, within 24 hours, 
three different states started enforcing their strict photo ID laws that were previously barred by the federal preclearance requirement. Yeah, they, you know, all the, I mean, it's just a mess. And it's to be, the very annoying thing about this is that this is the exact reason that the law exists. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg makes an excellent point in there in in her dissent, and this is one of her famous lines, I think, and that is, uh, you know, getting rid of the Voting Rights Act because you think things are like better than they were is like throwing your umbrella out in the rain because you aren't getting wet. <laughs> um, yeah. That, and I think that's that kind of puts a pin in it um, for me, at least. Um, I, I'm not going to go into these, you know, I had some, some pretty egregious examples of the racism by, you know, Republican legislatures in like 2015 calling black people just monkeys and things like just horrible stuff that, you know what I decided I'm not going to go into because my brain deserves better than that right now. And I mean, what, what I can say real quick is that we've seen ramifications on very recent elections. We we saw it in the um, the the uh, governorship election, uh, gubernatorial election in um, Georgia, where um, uh, what's his name George or Brian Kemp had defeated Stacey Abrams. Uh, mm-hmm. There's quite a bit of evidence of, of uh, purges and uh, restrictive voter registration rules that affect minorities disproportionately compared to to white voters, uh, which could have very well helped Mr. Kemp uh, win, win his election there. Obviously, we, we've gone over, we haven't gone over, but it's been well documented what's going on in, in Florida when it comes to felons uh, after they, they are done with their sentence, being, being able to vote or the difficulty for them to be able to vote. Again, and these are these are key states, and they're going to be key states in in uh, 2020. So, this, well, this... just to clarify what happened in Florida, there was a there was a ballot initiative that passed dramatically, saying felons should have their the citizens came out and said felons should have their rights restored, and then I believe it was the legislature interpreted that to mean well they have to pay all their fines and their fees and stuff, and the problem is there are no records of the fine. Like there's no like centralized records for the fines and the fees. So it just created an entire fucking disaster. And of course the, the people who should have their voting rights are going to be disenfranchised as a result. You know, Uh, I I think just what this says, you know, going over the voting rights act that was passed in 1965 is that we're not always going forward. Right. When it comes to progress, when it comes to racial equity, uh, when it comes to just literally the right to vote, we're not always advancing. We're not always creating a more perfect union. Sometimes we go back and we can go way back. And and, and this is what's going very on. Far back. Yeah, this is what's going on right now where we're not progressing, where we're going backwards, where uh, taking away rights. Uh, from individuals simply because of the color of their skin or their background or their age, like uh, what I mentioned with with uh, college. Um, this is not progress. And if, if you're defending it, then it's probably because you have an ulterior motive. Maybe that motive is that you just want your party to win and your guy to win. Maybe, maybe it's something else. I hope that the people that defend it think about what that reason is. 
Anything else you guys want to share before we move on to our next topic? All right. Well, I thank you, Sam, uh, uh, for for that. I I love your uh, history segment. I think we, we've got to work on a name, but we'll think of something soon. Connor, uh, I think Daniel, thank you uh, for uh, your input there in uh, regards to the uh, the hearing. Uh, we appreciate your your knowledge in regards to that. But I'm sorry, Sam. Were you going to say something? I think history time with Sam is fine with me. It sounds like a History like a PBS show or something. Yeah, yeah. History time with Sam. Our listeners yeah. are listening. Uh, you know, give us. Uh, well, what's our email address, Sam? I've never mentioned, but we do have an email address, right? Do you do you know friendly dot reminder the podcast at gmail dot com. Okay, I'm gonna start mentioning that more at the end of the show. Uh, but let's move on to our uh, next topic. Daniel, uh, you you came across uh, an interesting article that at first you wanted to share, but it, apparently you now you want us to hold off because you you have an idea. Gus, it is time to play conservative. What the hell are conservatives talking about trivia? Now, okay. what we have here. So so uh, what, what do we, we have win, here is an actually. Let's say you win a free subscription to the National Review to read all of Armin White's oh. great review. Anyway, okay, this is an article called "The Antifa Film Syllabus" by Armin White. Gus, I don't know. Do you want to talk about who Armin White is, or should I talk yeah. about who he is? Well, uh, I'll just say what I know um, as somebody okay. who's been visiting Rotten Tomatoes since, uh, as far as I can remember. Um, Armin White is basically like the troll the movie troll when it comes to professional movie critics uh he's the great contrarian um anytime there's going to be a highly critical review he's going to come up with his point as to why it's not good <laughs> his i mean I, his reviews are very enjoyable in the sense that they're just awfully written and <laughs> and they're very they're <laughs> hilarious so uh i mean i guess like any professional troll or hack that has just reached the pinnacle of his work. He's made its way to. He's made his way to the uh, to the National Review. Uh, so. <laughs> um, I actually didn't know he was a conservative uh, before this, but yeah, he is. He he's the kind of guy who writes, uh, you know, uh, Schindler's List is uh, you know post uh, modern garbage and. Uh, the Transformers is the, the song of a generation. Uh, <laughs> it, it it is. I think he really does like the Transformers series. I think he is kind. I, I think he's full of crap, to be honest. But yeah, apparently he was legit enough to get hired by the National Review, which isn't really saying much. But uh, and he wrote this article about the Antifa movies, which I think this was just literally. He was like, "Well, I need to write." you know, a thousand words or whatever, so I can get my check from the Koch brothers <laughs> or whatever. Uh, let me just write a list of uh, movies that I don't like. <laughs> Loosely connected, and he kind of just tried to connect it. So the intro here says, Lately, many Americans have recognized that the past several generations of students have been indoctrination, indoctrinated into notions on history and behavior taught by Marxism-infatuated educators that encourage a new kind of dissidence unrecognizable from the anti-war demonstrations of the 60s. I don't know what any of that means. I 
did you guys have a lot of Marxist professors? I mean, I think we all went to the liberal colleges, but I, I, I don't think I had a single Marxist or communist professor. But you know, they National View thinks every college professor is. A, yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah. you know that you know they might be Bernie Sanders sort of milk toast social democrats, most likely. <laughs> I'm gonna skim some of this because it's kind of dumb. Movies have been part of these students. Here's where he's like, well, I'm a movie guy, so my meanderings about how the kids need to get off my lawn needs to turn back to movies. Movies have been part of these students' pop culture instruction and their political instruction. See, he complains about education, and he's like, and also movies. Uh, it's it's just horribly, very poorly written. Um, uh, here's a good here's a good thing that here's a good line that I'm shocked that the editor didn't take out. Should bored college kids ever go back to school, hit the seminars alongside the fentanyl, they'll get a syllabus, <laughs> a course outline similar. Yes, he did. He made a joke about fentanyl, the drug that is currently killing tens of thousands of people. Ha, you fucking college kids always doing the fentanyl. I'm going to skip all this bullshit. He thinks these are 25 films that are causing Antifa to show up on your lawn and mess it up and kick over your lawn ornaments. Uh, so what I'm going to do is his descriptions are so outrageous. Um, I'm going to read the descriptions and I want you guys to guess the movie or try okay. to. Um, some of these I'm going to have to blank out some stuff because he you know, talks about the movie um, and it'll be make it too easy. But uh, I'm going to do my best to try to, to wing this. And you guys tell me if this is getting boring or whatever why don't you guys you know first one to guess it and and win. i'll uh keep score and you guys right, will so. win seven right. million dollars <clears throat> just kidding all right comic book cultures subversion of heroism into nihilism took root with blank's pompous seriousness the dark knight blank's Oh, good one. Yeah. Got Have it. you read this though? No. Uh, Has he seen The Dark Knight? Yes, we've that, we've all seen The Dark Knight. We I all know that pompous, is a description. Comic book and pompous, and I kind of immediately knew he was. I thought it was going to be like dig. Ender's Game or something. He said comic. All right. That's true. You did say. All right. Here's the next one. This one is uh, okay. Hit Blank's most obsessively loved story became a how-to manual for people who are not sure who they are but who are busy reconstructing themselves and each other to fit a kind of social ideal. That's sight and sound editor Nick James nailing the degraded use of good filmmaking to negative purposes when Blank overtook Citizen Kane in 2015 as film culture's new favorite best film. Now, <laughs> this is so... This literally looks like he just copied and pasted it from like one of his other articles because it doesn't fit the theme. It's from like... 40 years ago, so I'm not sure how many Antifas are really watching this and get it's Vertigo by Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, uh, that classic Antifa movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. So why did again, you I don't know. Like, that's when again, I don't would... know. I think that's when that's when his the blogs that he reads decided that Vertigo overtook Citizen Kane as the best film. Again, this guy is writing to uh, anyway. Uh, next one. <laughs> I'm telling you, he, 
the the stupid blogs that I mean, this idiot follows movie, decided murder. Honestly, and he was like, "That's when it happened. It happened in 2015." Obviously, I'm just gonna say, Vertigo obviously. probably better than than Citizen King. Maybe than Citizen King, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm uh, gonna, and also gonna. inspiring. We know that it is one of the, it is radicalizing thousands of Antifa's every single day. Uh, this cruel study in psychopathology is a mashup of the both pop lore and social instability. Just as the stadium terrorism in The Dark Knight Rises echoed 9-11's apocalypse, Blank's new face of the millennium predicted the Black Lives slash Antifa mobs and won an Oscar for it. Panther? Oh, no, wait, no, that Joker. Oscar. Oh. The Antifa mobs, yeah. Which I, I think that's incorrect. I think the mobs, the quote-unquote mobs, existed before the movie, and then the movies kind of took it from there, I think. Anyway, uh, I think you probably agree with that one because you... Here's another really weird where, one I mean, because... Uh, Armin White, we're, we're, we're on the same page. <laughs> I don't like the Joker uh, for those listeners, but for those listening, but I wouldn't put it in the words that he just did. Uh, Gilo Pontecorvo's brilliant neorealist style drama was first adopted by 60s militants as wish fulfillment. Since then, its misguided third world sympathy only confuses anti-colonialism with diaspora retribution. Guest lecturers, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilan Omar, or whoever writes their sound bites. Uh, obviously, he's talking about 1967's The Battle of Algiers. Obviously, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> Is he just stringing, clearly like, conservative thoughts together like that? Don't like. Are they don't even thoughts connect? though? And he has to just mention AOC and Ilan Omar. Like, it just <laughs> it it's just meaningless garbage. Is, is he uh, a bot? Is this guy just a bot? Like, it does. <sighs> yeah. It, this is a random right, here's the next one. A conservative <laughs> random generator machine. <laughs> it just yeah, this is this is this is the uh this is the one of those Twitter bots and, and the guys at the National Review are like, brilliant. This brilliant. is brilliant. <laughs> this is um, this is this is <laughs> a celebration of tech narcissist blank taking revenge on the world, the envy of every Ivy League nerd and those oh, who envy I know this, the social network. Yeah, social network. I mean, Blink's nihilist carnival turned cinephilia against itself. Violence and sadism presumably made hip morality. What's morality? Uh, Pulp Fiction, 1994. Hmm. Yeah, this is a good one. You'll be able to tell what this is because he will say how many movies are in this franchise. The Blink siblings expropriate notions on black sexuality queer studies hijacking black liberation in a two-part fantasy using identity madness to justify political anarchy that's right he's talking about the matrix reloaded and the matrix revolutions that famous two-part sci-fi fantasy franchise (laughs) not known for any other part in that franchise (laughs) <laughs> we all remember Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions, and that's it. That's and uh, and you know the Wachowski siblings have actually said very explicitly that the that the the trilogy is about not that it couldn't have 
you know, borrowed notions of black liberation, et cetera. But uh, it's about being trans more than anything. So I don't know what Armin White is talking about. Okay. Um, a switch on Old West heroism from law and order to modern violent psychosis. The film's felt hero is a serial killer. Okay. I Hopefully no to the Blank's everlasting regret. That's right. Thing. He's talking about No Country for Old Men and the hero Anton Chigurh, the unambiguous hero of that movie, <laughs> yeah. which is apparently how this psychopath fell about it. Um, one more. Oh. Go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, do you think he watches these movies? Like from beginning to end, or I think this is a list of the only movies he has watched in the last <laughs> several decades. <laughs> this is it. He's like, these are the list of movies I've watched, and I hated them all. Uh, this and the Transformers, and he just loved the Transformers. Um, uh, George, uh, blank souped-up dystopia is really a comic book catalog sporting the uniforms. And Portageon bric-a-brac of drug-addled autonomous zones. He's got to make it political. It's about. It's all about those autonomous zones. That's right. He's talking about Mad Max Fury Road 2015. Um, mm. That was all yeah. about autonomous zones or something. What? Yeah, that was. Um, I don't know. Armin Zweig's brain is mush, but um, apparently he's cashing checks at the National Review. Um, the, this he was alive? Uh, Are we sure that this is a person? No, I'm telling you. It's yeah, a I'm, he's always been a bot. Yeah, it's just yeah. Um, I, yeah. I just love the fact that I, I I feel like he just like watched Fox News for like 48 hours and just decided to go through a list of movies and just connect it to whatever he sees um, going on in Portland, Oregon. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's it really is just baffling what the hell he was thinking. Like, I mean, I could, it, it's like, it's like I'm, oh, coronavirus. What could cause the coronavirus? Well, you know, there were a lot of Jackie Chan movies, so I'll just talk mm. about how Jackie Chan caused the coronavirus, and yeah, oh, the midi chlorians cause. It's just, it's just sort of free association. But hey, I mean. Hell, cash your check from the National Review to just sort of free associate and turn it in, and you know. And again, as I kind of they get to say they have a. Well, what I what I just go back to earlier, like there's this feels like satire. There's this this feels like parody, and there's still probably a good number of people reading the National Review and thinking, finally, somebody calling Mad Max for what it truly is. I mean, are there though? Were people? Well, I, I, I guess yeah. They did give people more credit anymore. Like, yes, there <laughs> are. I'm gonna say with certainty that yes, there are people that are doing that. There's like people out there that are like, it really started to turn downhill after the Battle of Algiers and Vertigo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's when you knew we were screwed. <laughs> it's like, shut up, Grandpa. Go away. Hitchcock is the father of Antifa. You heard it here yep. first. All right. Well, thank you, Daniel. That was that was both fun and severely depressing. <laughs> but thank you for sharing.
Um, but that Ooh, does five mean... more things you probably didn't know about Susan Rice. And read this. Oh, okay. Just read it out loud from beginning to end. We have time. Yeah. No. I'm just... um, yeah. We actually do not. But uh, that does uh, bring us to the end of our show. Uh, I thought it was a great episode. I really want to thank both uh, Daniel and Sam. Thank you both so much for joining me once again. Thanks for, yeah, having, thanks for me. having us. And as always, I want to thank our listeners. And uh, in fact, Sam, can you mention our email just one more time? Yeah, it's friendly dot reminder the podcast at gmail.com we should make up a song to, to remember